This podcast is brought to you by YearToSuccess.com, a free online course on success. Enroll at YearToSuccess.com. Hello and welcome to the Toastmasters podcast, the official podcast of Toastmasters International. Hello, everybody. My name is Bo Bennett. And I'm Ryan Levesque. And we are back for part two of the accredited speaker interviews. Ryan, who do we got? Well, first up on the show, we have a conversation that Greg and I had with Robert Cravalo. And that is followed by two other accredited speakers that Bo is joining me for, Donnie Crandell and Claire Crowther. All right. Roll the air quotes tape. Ryan, we have someone on the line from somewhere far away and nice and warm. Yes, wish I was there. Our guest today is joining us from Hawaii. He is, of course, one of the newly minted accredited speakers. His name is Robert Cravalo. Robert is uh, a retired Honolulu police officer with over 30 years experience. He's currently on faculty of the Hawaii Pacific University, and he is the managing agent of Hawaiian Island Investigations, LLC, which I am sure he will be telling us about momentarily. Robert Cravalo, accredited speaker. Welcome to the Toastmasters podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much and aloha. Robert, you live in an exciting world, not only in Hawaii, but with what you do professionally. To kick us off, can you tell us a little bit about your background and what you do on a day-to-day basis? Certainly. So I did 30 years with the Honolulu Police Department, retiring at the rank of lieutenant about five years ago, and I'm currently employed by the National Football League. I'm their security representative here in the state of Hawaii. So I take care of any of their security or investigative needs they might have in the 50th state. I am the managing agent of Hawaiian Island Investigations, and that's just my business that allows me to contract with the National Football League to provide services to them. Well, before we go any further, Robert, I have to ask this question. I know we're here to talk about you and your achievement as an accredited speaker, but one thing I always wanted to know is Hawaii 5.0, is that a real thing or is that a myth? Yeah, it's uh, Hollywood for certain. It's a state agency, according to the, the Hawaii 5.0. It's a state agency, but it's uh, fictitious. We do have a state sheriff's department here, but... Yeah, they don't do anything like uh, like Hawaii Five O does. Okay, Ryan, you were right, so you can take the next question. <laughs> <laughs> right. Tell us how your journey started, Robert, in terms of speaking professionally and deciding to seek the accredited speaker designation. I became a distinguished Toastmaster. I did the leadership here in the district, uh, becoming the the district governor, of course, now district director. So I've done both paths as far as communication and leadership with Toastmasters, but I just wanted more. Uh, Some of my colleagues go for their Distinguished Toastmaster Medal a second time, but I didn't believe in that strategy. It didn't fit for me. It was kind of been there, got the t-shirt kind of thing. So I thought, well, what's next? What else can you do in Toastmasters? And then I met uh, Cheryl Rausch, Distinguished Toastmaster, past district governor and accredited speaker. And she told me about the accredited speaker program. And I said, aha, there's my next venture. And so that's kind of what I set out to do to accomplish. And it really wasn't to attain the designation, but was to grow through Toastmasters and through the experience of the application process. And also being the first accredited speaker here in Hawaii, I, I kind of wanted to open the door in case there are any people into our Toastmasters here interested in the accreditation that I could maybe forge the path for them. And that might sound a little hokey, but I kind of did it for my fellow Toastmasters here in the islands as well. 
Now, your journey was a little bit more than a little bit more challenging than a typical police investigation, right? <laughs> yeah, I never had a police investigation that lasted five years, but that's about how long it took for my journey. Uh, as you probably know, you have to do your 25 speeches to non-Toastmaster audiences and be paid for 15 of them. And although I had spoken to groups before, I'd never charged and that type of thing. So I kind of have to start at the bottom and figure out, okay, how do I get these engagements where people actually pay me to speak? And so I started uh, just talking for free to community groups and book clubs and things of that nature. And then someone hears you and says, hey, you've got a great message. I think you should come and speak to my organization. And so before you know it, I was speaking to McDonald's of Hawaii and Kaiser Permanente, the United States Army, and being paid for those uh, speaking engagements. So then I was able to fulfill level one application and then submit that. So I kind of started from the ground up because I didn't have a lot of experience of speaking professionally when I decided to go for the accreditation. And Robert, you tried you tried out a couple of times for the accredited speaker designation. In other words, when you finally attained it this summer, that was not your first shot. Is, is that right? And if so, uh, what happened the previous times and what did you learn in the process? Well, I've learned a great deal through the process and, and that is really what I'd like your listeners to realize that it's about the, it's not about the destination, it's about the journey, it's what you learn as you go through this process. And so that's what's sort of val- sort of valuable to me about the accredited speaker designation. It's not about the award or to be called an accredited speaker when you're introduced, it's that I went through it. Uh, I went through level one when you submit your application uh, with your name, rank, and serial number, the list of all your engagements in a three-year period and those that you were paid for, and then you submit a video. So I submitted that level one to Toastmasters, and then I prayed. I got the thumbs down on my first application at level one. I believe my video was probably not up to par, and so I had to redo my video. And the next year, I applied again with my application and a new video, and I was accepted at level one. And then last year, was invited to go to Washington, D.C., and I was on the world stage, which not too many people can say. So that, to me, was such an experience. I thought I did a good job at level two in Washington, D.C. However, at the conclusion, I met with the chief judge and uh, he provided me the bad news. I I looked at it as an opportunity for me to continue to grow. So was I disappointed? Yes. But then I went back to the drawing board, worked on the presentation. And again, it's it's because I've gone through the process that I I, I honed it. I made it a little bit better here. How can I shine this? I think a bit, I, I love to ride my Harley Davidson motorcycle. What I do is when it's dirty, I mean, you wash it with a big rag and then when it's all clean and wiped down, then you go with a little toothbrush and you clean the little, the little nooks and crannies of it. And it's the same thing with your presentation, whether it's a seven minute speech or a 40 minute accredited speaker speech, you got to look at all those little details and how can I make this one better and this one better and that one better and tightened up things. And I went to, to Canada this past August and finally received a designation. So it was, a, it was a long process, and there were certainly ups and downs, but I, I believe it was worth every, every second of it. So, Robert, I had the wonderful opportunity of actually being present in Vancouver at the Toastmasters International Convention. Your presentation was called How to Kick Conflict, so maybe perhaps tell us a little bit about that. As a police officer, I was assigned as a hostage negotiator for about eight years, and so I have some great experiences and some education on how to manage people that are in crisis that lack the coping skills to deal with what situation they're in. I've been in conflict with deadly consequences. 
And I firmly believe that if there is something that I've gleaned in my life that I can share with somebody and it'll help them, I'm all for that. You know, life is too short for us to make all the mistakes. So we have to look at our friends and, 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 and witness their mistakes and learn from them. Not saying that what I did was a mistake, but I've learned a great deal and I wanted to share it. And so that's really was my platform. When you become an accredited speaker, you have to, you don't speak for yourself. You speak for what your audience needs to hear. And so I know that conflict is certainly in everyone's life and managing conflict is so important, whether it's at home or at work or in a social club or whatever it is. In Toastmasters, we're always going to have conflict. So I think what I provide in my presentation is ability for people to manage conflict in their life. And it's based on my experiences as a hostage negotiator. I find it interesting that you use the term manage conflict rather than what you hear everywhere else is conflict resolution. Are, are they different? In my opinion, there are, because you cannot solve the conflict. You can't bring the conflict to resolution. You, you don't have a, the pixie dust or that magic wand. Oh, we have a conflict here. Boom, it's solved. You can't do that. I believe that you just manage the conflict until it resolves itself. And it resolves itself when the person in conflict either gets it or understands it or their coping skills can manage it or whatever. So in my opinion, it's managing the conflict till it's resolved. You can't resolve it. It's not up to you. Are there some tips from the presentation you can share with us about that? I think really it comes down to one. I give, you, I give several uh, takeaways, I call them, in the presentation, and I, I make it sticky by giving it a story so people can remember it. I think the greatest is the active listening. A lot of people, it's about talking, but, and that's what we forget to do a lot of times is just to sit and listen to somebody. And then identify that emotion, whatever it might be, and then empathize with that emotion. People in crisis, they're, perhaps they're angry or perhaps they're sad. There's some sort of emotion that's linked to that crisis. And so if you can identify it just by listening to the person and then empathizing with them and qualifying it and let them know, hey, I get it. You're angry at this situation. I'd be angry too if I was in your position. And then, then they have like an ally. They feel like, wow, you get it. You hear me. You feel what I'm feeling. You get it. And that, that alone brings down the emotion, which brings the logic up. And when someone is thinking logically, that's when they can deal with the conflict or, or the crisis that they're in. It seems very different than when you see it on TV where it's perceived as an adversarial position. And that's the problem with it. One of the other takeaways is uh, if it's important to them, it's important to you. So sometimes people might come to you with something that's a crisis. And when you listen to it, you think, oh, my gosh, that doesn't even make my priority list. I talk about in my presentation about dirty dishes in the sink and how one of my uh, clerk typists was upset that another clerk would leave their dirty dishes in the sink. It's so minute, it's so not even on my radar screen to be worried about something like that, but yet she brought it to me. So if it was important to her, it was important to me. If somebody comes to you and they have a problem, even though you might think it's insignificant, it's important to them. They brought it to you. So you have to treat it with the value that they, they're treated. Robert, I want to ask you about one thing that we talked about just briefly before we started recording, and that is that uh, you mentioned that something went not as planned with a prop, and I, I thought it might be helpful just to kind of hear that briefly from your perspective, and I'm, I'm thinking also to hit home the point that being an accredited speaker is a recognition of excellence, but it doesn't necessarily denote perfection. So could you share that that story with us briefly? Well, I believe in Murphy's Law. What can go wrong will go wrong. And for that reason, I, I rarely use props because props can go wrong. I also feel that when you bring a prop onto the stage or into your Toastmasters club, you're using that as a crutch. 
Um, if you want to talk about an airplane flying, you wouldn't bring a model airplane and fly it and use that as a prop. Maybe you'd spread your arms as a gesture and you would become the airplane. So I think when you use props, it kind of is a crutch for you. And I also believe that if you use props, maybe something will go wrong. Now, during my presentation in Canada, I turned into a police officer monitoring beaters. I put on a pair of Ray-Ban police, you know, mirrored glasses and pretended I was a police officer. But the point that you're trying to make is when I brought out the glasses, a prop from my coat jacket, it snagged on the pocket and I had to wrestle with it to get it out. And so there was a little bit of clumsiness, if you will. And that's what I mean about prop going wrong. So I personally don't use props. I did in that case and it kind of bit me, but I thought the prop was worth it because once I put the glasses on, I really became that police officer. I think the audience enjoyed that and the banter that occurred after that. So it worked out all well. I thought you made it real. And in fact, once you put the glasses on and you looked up, and of course, those were your facial gestures were just incredible. I could see you as that cop that was actually stopping the young lady for her alleged speeding, I guess. Yeah, that was fun. It was, again, another story to make it sticky for the audience. And then it was a callback because that was or that story was early in my presentation. And then I brought it uh, back at the conclusion to demonstrate how using the techniques that I share, you could have managed that conflict between me as a police officer and the woman who was the traffic violator. Robert, I do have a question. When you talked about, obviously, in your position as an investigator or your position in the police force, you have situations that can potentially be life or death. Does the severity of the conflict change the approach? Well, that's a very good question. I would say that it depends on the situation. If the situation is dynamic and as a law enforcement agency, we need to respond with force, then we're certainly prepared to do so. Um, so if, if it gets to be a violent situation, then of course negotiations are not going to work. However, if the situation is calm and everyone's safe and secure, and we can open a line of communication with the individual struggling with the crisis, then the answer is no. It doesn't matter if they're upset because they got fired from their job or they're upset because they came home and dinner wasn't on the table. It doesn't really matter what crisis they're in. The process is still the same. However, it could change if the situation got dynamic. So, Robert, if someone wanted to get a hold of you, maybe they were in trouble. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what would be the best way for them to reach you? Uh, well, my phone number is probably the best. I was on call with the police department so for so, for so many years that my phone is uh, right on my side all the time, and I'm always answering, and that number is 808-265-3434. And then you can also get me uh, through my email, which is robert at robertcavaglio.pro. Robert, thank you very much for being a guest on the Toastmasters podcast. And once again, congratulations on achieving your accredited speaker designation. Yeah, congratulations, Robert. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Greg. And thank you very much for this opportunity. Our next guest is Donnie Crandall. Donnie Crandall believes it's all about connecting. As a speaker, educator, chaplain, entertainer, and writer, he connects with his audience through inspiring, motivating, training, and education by creating a fun and enjoyable experience for all. As a speaker, Donnie's been a semi-finalist in the World Championship of Public Speaking two years in a row, and he's spoken at many different venues, including universities, conferences, churches, military bases, and Fortune 500 companies. 
And Donnie was also officially accredited as an accredited speaker for Toastmasters International, and that is why he is here to join us today. Donnie Crandall, welcome to the Toastmasters podcast. Welcome, Donnie. Thank you, sir. Well, first of all, congratulations to you. Yes, thank you. To kick us off, I'd like you to share with us, why did you decide to pursue the accredited speaker track to begin with? Well, I appreciate the question. It was a little bit to be honest, of hedging my bet. I'm always a participant in the international speech contest and I try and make it there every year that I can. But last year, I start thinking to myself, you know, I've won our district two years in a row and to make it a third year might be next to a a minor miracle, even though I believe in Mm -hmm. miracles, I thought it would be a minor miracle. So I thought, I don't want to not go to the international contest or just go there and just sit. So I want to do something. So if I don't win the district, I want to go as an accredited speaker. So I start putting my ducks in a row, my paperwork ready, investing the time, and looking up the whole track on what it takes to be an accredited speaker. And as it turned out, it was a good thing I hedged my bet because I did get second place in the district, but I still got to go to Vancouver and participate in the international conference as an accredited speaker. So it turned out really well. So it was really my my desire to do something a little different than than our international contest and I thought it would I thought it may be a, a different sort of venue or a different sort of opportunity to maybe get different kinds of exposure and I thought it I thought it reflected more of what the real world seeks when they look for a speaker because it's it's a 20-minute speech as opposed to a six or a seven-minute speech. So I, I, I really just had, it really was just my own my own personal challenge to want to do something that I hadn't done in Toastmasters yet. Right, right. Yeah, I can't imagine some company hiring you and paying you to fly out somewhere to speak to them for six to seven minutes. <laughs> it just doesn't work. So, Donnie, yeah. I got to ask you this about the speech contest. I know we might be be diverging a little bit from from the accredited speaker program but i'm really curious after being on the big stage in retrospect was it all worth it or because you didn't win do you feel like ah, i shouldn't have done that i felt like it was it was an adrenaline rush beyond any adrenaline rush i've had probably in this lifetime of being on the big stage with the lights and the crowd and the all of the anxiety and the butterflies in my stomach and just the thrill of it all was it it matched up to everything i thought it might be when i did get on the big stage so it it was it was it was exciting and it was it was different than the, the it was a different uh, mindset a different flow a different attitude toward the than the accredited speaker for sure just to to me they're just two completely different venues and two completely different mindsets that you need to have going into it but i i loved the world championship stage and i will continue to try and get back there again okay so i think that does answer my question yes it was worth it and you would do it again yes cool now donnie where were you or are you even now on the continuum in terms of of your professional speaking. I know people who pursue the accredited speaker track sometimes are people who've been speaking professionally for years and years and years. And other times they're people who are just 
starting out. Uh, so what what's your background as a speaker? Yeah, as far as the professional speaking career goes, I feel like I'm just starting out in that. And I've been a, a pastor for a number of years, and that that's an opportunity I get to speak every Sunday in front of a group of people for 25 minutes or so. But as far as doing speeches to a non-church audience, this is a brand new attempt for me. And I also do magic shows where I'll take a theme and do a 30 to 45 minute magic show. And those are paid opportunities. But even that is still different than the professional speaking. So even when it came to getting my keynote ready for, for the accredited speaker auditioning in Vancouver, I wasn't exactly sure what to go with because it's not it's not like I I go and do professional speaking every week and I have five keynotes that I do. Most of my paid speaking has been from magic shows or speaking at churches. So that's so I, I'm at the beginning stage of that and just kind of learning what all is involved in that. And I thought the accredited speaker program might be a good step in that direction to develop that. But I can say this, and this is very important. I haven't quit my day jobs. <laughs> gotcha. I have not, I'm, in fact, I think I'm a ways from quitting my day jobs to to pursue public speaking. Although it's it's a constant hobby that I'm working on, and it's a it's a profession I would love to see full time. But I, I just think there's a lot of factors to making a living as a professional speaker. Okay. Well, now you've got one more accolade in your your kit here to be able to say that you are one of a really a very small number of people worldwide who are accredited speakers through Toastmasters. Yeah. Donnie, you mentioned uh, you mentioned your magic a few moments ago and in your accredited speaker presentation you did entertain the audience with a couple of tricks that were related to the message you were conveying. And I wondered as I watched the video how the addition of magic, I, I imagine you've been doing it for a while, so perhaps you're, you are comfortable with it, but I wonder if it ups the ante in terms of the stress level that, oh no, not only do I have to perform <laughs> well with a, as a speaker, but what happens if I goof up on the trick? Was, was that a concern? Was that part of the nerves for you at all? Where's the pigeon? Damn pigeon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I've, I've learned that if I'm going to, if I'm going to do sleight of hand or magic, in a, in a professional speaking setting, I have to go with the tricks that I know are foolproof. I can't mm. do any high-risk tricks where, the, where the, the secret tool behind the trick is in jeopardy of messing up. So mm. I have to, I have, I'm limited to doing tricks that I know are 99% of the time I'm not going to mess up on and I'm super comfortable with. So that's part of it. I think the other part is just the, the, the idea of trying to integrate it with with speaking and is is it going to stop the flow of speaking to to do a trick or is it going to enhance my presentation by by taking part of my presentation and putting it into more of a physical visible form or is it are the are the gimmicks that I'm using or the tools that I'm using are they going to be easily accessible so they pack flat and I don't have to bring this big old statue of something and make it disappear in front of my crowd there's all these questions it is more it is more complicated but I've been doing magic for so long that in many ways it's easier to get up and do a magic show or a magic trick than it is to 
do a keynote speech and remember all the stuff I'm supposed to remember. And how did you feel about how your presentation went? I mean, obviously, the goal was achieved. You're now an accredited speaker. But did you did you feel like when you finished, you knew you were going to get it? Or was there a question mark? I think there was a question mark. And I and it came from it came from a lack of confidence because I had only practiced that keynote one time. And when I gave it, I thought, wow, is, is this really a keynote to where people would pay to see it? Man, I don't know. And did the magic connect with the audience? And I started second guessing a, a lot of my presentation. And I felt like it. I don't think people understand how much of a golden opportunity it is on that stage when you get to give your accredited speaker and and I wish I could I wish I could say I felt better about it, but I I don't feel like I knocked it out of the park. I felt like I I could have done a lot better, but it was good enough to achieve the accredited speaker. But if I could do it again, I think I could do a much better job. And one of the things I I thought to myself was, is anybody going to walk up to me and say, hey, we want you to come to our district because we loved your we loved your accredited speaker speech today so much that we want you to come do it on our district. Well, I had I one or two inquiries, and I actually did go to a district because of the accredited speaker, but I don't think I did well enough for it to launch my professional speaking career to where my phone's ringing off the hook, and they're saying, wow, you got to come to our district. However, I think that opportunity is there. If a person can just do a tremendous job on that stage, I think I think it could be a huge, uh, a huge kick in the right direction and an opportunity because I think you will get speaking opportunities from that, at least in the Toastmaster world. Hmm. So, Donnie, what are your five-year goals here and and how does this accredited speaker designation factor into those goals? For my five-year goals, I I like, I certainly want to achieve my doctorate degree and that's, that's a huge thing. And then I want to take what, what I'm doing my doctorate on, which is thriving strategies for military leaders and I want I want to utilize that in the military circles which is my day job and I also I, I could also see myself uh, potentially getting back to the world stage for the international speech contest and then I want to continue taking the keynotes that I did there and about five other ones and and utilize those in as many venues as I can I'm doing a leadership breakfast for District 39 Toastmasters, but I really want to branch out of Toastmasters because I don't I don't find necessarily that that all the opportunities are going to come from there. It's a great training ground, but a person really has to get outside of that to find professional speaking gigs that are going to pay. So I there's an organization here called Win W I N that wants me to come and do a presentation this year, and that's for a bunch of professionals. So I think I, I would like, I'd like to make it more of a, a living, and I'd also like to do more, more coaching, and yeah, that's where I see myself going. I guess with professional speaking. All right. Cool. Sounds great. Well, Donnie, your presentation on connecting, which unfortunately we didn't even have time to get into the content of it, but is available through the ToastmastersOnDemand.com website. And I encourage folks to check it out. It's it's well worth the time. A lot of uh, good content and humor in your presentation. But where can folks go to 
learn more about you and stay in touch. My website, DonnieCrandall.com, is a good starting place. And then my email is DonnieCrandall at gmail.com. And I think you'll find out most everything that you want to know there. And I'd, I'd love to connect with some folks. If that opportunity, if anybody's seeking a professional speaker, I, I, I like to engage, encourage, entertain, and help people tar- participate in the speech. So it's a fun time for everyone. Very Super. Good. Well, we wish you well in your continued professional speaking career. And thanks for sharing with us today, Donnie. Yeah, thank you, Donnie. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for taking the time for the interview. All righty. Bye-bye. Our guest today is Claire Crowther. Claire has worked for 23 years as the CEO of Your New Horizon. Your New Horizon is a specialist consultancy and executive coaching, team effectiveness, business transformation, and change management, as well as program and project management. And of course, once again, Claire is a newly minted accredited speaker. Congratulations on that. And welcome to the Toastmasters podcast, Claire. Welcome, Claire. Thank you very much. Thank you. So, Claire, let's let's go back to the beginning of this journey for you to accredited speaker and beyond. How did you get started as a professional speaker to begin with? I got started as a professional speaker by accident. I was working for a company who wanted someone to go and roll out a particular new facility they were offering, and I got chosen to be that person. And so I started speaking in front of people. And I did an okay job, but I felt that I could be better. Found out about Hull Speakers, which is my home club, and joined them. I've I've gone on from there, and I believe I learned an awful lot just by being a member of Hull Speakers. Then I found out about this designation called Accredited Speaker, which seems to be, in the UK in any case, quite a hidden secret. It was something that's not mentioned, not very much at all. And a colleague of mine said that he was interested in going for it and started telling me all about it. I said, oh, that does sound interesting. I I think I could go for that. And that that was the beginning of it. So one of my missions, as you probably know, is to try and not be the only person in the UK and Europe with this designation. I don't mind being the first, (laughs) but I want to spend the next year mentoring anybody else who would like to get to that position, particularly from the UK, clearly. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. I, I was going. You just covered that, but I was going to uh, ask you if I understood correctly. And this is breaking one of the rules of effective questions per your presentation. But that if it is true that you were in fact the first and only accredited speaker from the UK at this time. Absolutely, yes. I am the, the, the first accredited speaker of the UK and Europe as well. The whole of Europe. There's not. Oh wow! Wow! wow. That's so awesome. Quite- quite an accolade to be the first but I am determined that I will not be the only accredited speaker in the UK and Europe and so to that end I'm happy to mentor anyone who would like to follow in the footsteps try and stop it being such a secret yeah super good for you so what did you learn in the the process I'm sure there was a lot of preparation that went into this and uh, how, how did it help you become a better speaker I think the process of putting together a speech for Vancouver was particularly a growth moment for me where I had to produce a speech that was suitable for that particular audience, which was a new speech that I wrote in the May. 
to be delivered in August. So I needed a, a tremendous amount of practice. So I appealed to my large network of contacts and said I would come and give this speech to anybody for free that would give me the floor space. And I went to a tremendous variety of organizations that I probably wouldn't have even gone into otherwise. So it gave me some opportunities that I hadn't expected. And those different audiences gave me very varied feedback and made me realize that I had to be able to hit lots of different types of people when I went in front of, I believe it was 1,800 people at Vancouver. So it was very good grounding to, to turn up at, in Vancouver. Nice. That's great. As I mentioned before we started recording, Claire, I did have the opportunity to watch your speech through Toastmasters On Demand and uh, enjoyed it greatly. For those who haven't seen it, can you give a brief explanation of what you spoke about in Vancouver? The title of the speech was Listen to Solve. And the premise here is that we do naturally want to help other people. A particular way a lot of us try to do it naturally is to say, if I were you, I would. The solution that's right for you is not what's right for them. And so my speech was around how we can listen, question effectively, recap, and then help other people to get to their own solution. So by listening, you are solving their problems. That's the premise of the whole speech. I work with a lot of people in argumentation, and one of the things we talk about is you have to listen to what the person is arguing and restate the argument just to make sure you're on the same page, because what most people do is they will just go off on a tangent and make an argument or assume an argument that the person didn't actually make. And without listening and rephrasing, you're not going to get anywhere. So it sounds kind of like the same thing. One of the things in Claire's presentation, Bo, was uh, resisting the urge to share your own <laughs> personal story, a, a parallel story. Uh, <laughs> Avoid unnecessary stories, is, I think, is how, how you're going to say it. That's, uh, that's funny, because this, this one time when I was doing a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly, yeah. Yes, yeah. One of the things I talked about in the speech was a point which is avoid unnecessary sharing. And what that's about is when you've listened and you've questioned and you recap back to the person that you're trying to solve, sometimes that very process of recapping can prompt a parallel from your own experience. And you may feel compelled to share that experience. Well, please don't. <laughs> sharing that unnecessary sharing is not going to help the other person. I, I, I felt, I have to say, I felt a little bit bit of resistance to that point as I was watching your presentation and in reflecting on it I think it's because perhaps I have that tendency <laughs> to want to share unnecessary we, stories we all, and anecdotes and details but, we all but do because we feel it's helping the other person and yeah it might do but the chances are it's not going to because everyone has their own individual solution right and I, I think the other conclusion that I came to, correct me if I'm wrong, is that in this context, we're talking about, as you just said, helping the other person. And that's really the goal and the focus, at least in terms of what you were rolling out. And there may be other places, like, for example, if you're on a date with someone where, where sharing your own story could be an important rapport building ah. mechanism. Oh, that's uh, quite a different scenario, I have to say. Yes, if we're looking to try and help somebody solve their problems, that as you may perhaps guess, that, that my background for this particular speech was my expertise in coaching. I do a lot of exec coaching. And that one-to-one -one 
coaching requires you to listen to solve and it's building on that and bringing it to everybody so everybody can do it to a certain extent asking the open questions which is another major part of the speech is something that in concept is so very 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 simple but trying to put it into practice can be a little bit more challenging yeah open questions are very important don't you think so claire (laughs) (laughs) yes no (laughs) (laughs) so claire did you feel any different pressure than you normally experience in your normal speaking scenarios when you presented at this international convention? Yes, it was tremendously different speaking at the international convention. The pressure was quite different because I knew that the accredited speaker was a pass-fail situation, and that's not what I'm used to at all. I'm used to imparting information for a reason, but not to be judged on a pass-fail basis. So that's what made the major pressure difference for for me at Vancouver. Hmm. Was the size of the audience more intimidating or didn't that not play as big of a factor? Surprisingly, it didn't play such a big factor as I expected. I believe there were about 1,800 people in the audience and I've spoken to a couple of hundred before and I guess once you get over a certain amount where you don't have that total interaction with a small group, then with 200 or 1,800 perhaps doesn't matter. But it was a fantastic experience, I have to say. Very, very professionally organized and I loved it. Excellent. And apparently the judges loved it as well because you are now... An accredited speaker. Congratulations on that once again, Claire. And thank you for taking some time to share with us. Can you tell us how can folks who are listening find out more about you and stay in touch? From the Toastmasters International side, I am there on the main website and also on the accredited speakers website. If people are not Toastmasters yet, then feel free to contact me on my website, which is www.yournewhorizon.co.uk. And there's a contact sheet there. I'll be very happy to get back to you if you're interested in Toastmasters or in accredited speakers. Very good. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Claire. Yeah, thank you for being with us. You're very welcome. Thank you very much for talking with me. Thanks, Claire. Hi, this is Bo Bennett, host of the Toastmasters podcast. Back in 2004, I wrote the book Year to Success, the most complete and practical book on success ever written. Thanks to today's technology, I've turned the book into an online course. Here's the best part. The course is 100% free. Enroll at yeartosuccess.com and work on one personal development idea each day for the next eight months or so. That address is yeartosuccess.com. See you there.